Welcome to Out of the Comfort Zone. When you lead from a base of expertise, your confidence and credibility are derived from your knowledge. People follow you as a result. However, when you take a stretch assignment and span outside of your comfort zone, leading requires a different approach, one of influence, inspiration, compromise, and courage. We are here to talk about how to take that next step and keep going. Now, here is your host, Wanda Wallace. Welcome to Out of the Comfort Zone. Today we're going to do everybody's favorite topic, the one that when I work with groups and with individuals seems to occupy 90% of the conversation, and that has to do with quote-unquote difficult people. So in every organization that I go with, there are always individuals that have been labeled as quote-unquote difficult. Now, I'll give you the heads up in my experience. They may be difficult for one person, but they aren't always difficult for everybody. That's an interesting question that we'll debate. So the topic today is how do you navigate them? First off, how do you understand who they are? How do you navigate them? What can you do? What do you say? And what do you ignore along the way? My guest today is Chris Cangelosi. Chris is a partner and founder of Gotham Culture. He's an expert in leadership and organizational development. His real focus is helping leaders shape high-performing cultures and do all the transformational processes that create and sustain effective large-scale change. Chris has worked with a bunch of clients, Martha Stewart Living, Omnimedia, Google, JetBlue Airways, Marriott International, Nando South Africa, Sonos, New York Metropolitan Transport Authority, a whole host of companies um, all over, everywhere, lots of experience in this area. So Chris, welcome to the show. Thanks so much for having me, Wanda. I'm looking forward, well, I'm looking forward to this only because I'm looking forward to hearing more wisdom on how I help everybody else deal with these difficult people. So let's talk about difficult first. Is it? Do you agree with my opening statement that some people are labeled as difficult and they actually are not difficult for everybody? Yeah, I do agree with that. I think this is a really individual type of process. So when I, when I use the term difficult people, Whenever I use it, I'm, I'm inserting air quotes around difficult because what's difficult for me may be a breeze for you and vice versa. Um, you know, I find difficult people everywhere in our lives, right? I mean, I'm, uh, yeah. my family during the holidays can be difficult people. Uh, you know, my son at any store, he's eight years old. He can be a difficult person for me. Uh, for my wife, it might be a totally different situation, but yeah. they take a lot of different forms. Yeah. All right. So let's talk about those forms before I get sidetracked into who it is that I find difficult. There are a number of them, a number of personalities. How do you begin to classify people or do you even try to classify them? Yeah. I, you know, I personally don't kind of classify them. I, I think, you know, it's easy for us as humans to want to kind of put people into a bucket. It makes it easier for us to kind of get through the day. Um but I think there's, there's some limitations in doing that. I really, you know, and I've, I've dealt with my share of difficult people throughout my life and career, just like anyone else has, and it's a very relatable topic. There's a lot of um, specificity in each situation that we need to allow for. So while there are some, some buckets that we might want to put people into, I think that does a disservice to the actual complexity of the situation. Okay, so how do they then go, what is it that makes people, quote, unquote, difficult for us? Yeah, you know, it's a great question. So to me, it's really kind of this um, misalignment between what you expect or you need from that person in that moment and what you're actually going to get for them. 
Um, and it, it really doesn't matter whether it's intentional or unintentional on their part. You know, I think back to one of my favorite uh, sitcoms of all time, the American version of the, the show The Office. And I think of the main character, Michael Scott, the office manager. And he was, you know, he, he would be difficult for a lot of people to deal with, but completely unintentional. I and mean, the, the man was just pretty much a buffoon. But it doesn't make it any less difficult to navigate, um, you know, regardless of whether it's an intentional or unintentional kind of difficulty that's coming up. But it's really just this misalignment in expectations, in my opinion. Okay, so you say that as it's a misalignment of expectations of what I need or want in the moment. But some people, I don't care what I need or want from them in the moment, they're going to drive me crazy for the rest of my life. <laughs> right. Well, that may be true. That may be true. And, you know, so we know we're going to have an ongoing relationship with them. I think the, the question becomes, what can we be doing to kind of prepare for that in order to um, help be as productive and positive as possible through this ongoing relationship, whether it's one we want to continue or not, you know, especially at work or family, right? We're, we're there. We have to deal with it. We have to learn how to be productive. So, you know, even the basis of your program, there are, this is one of those skills that leaders need to be able to be comfortable with and hopefully master, um, because it's not a technical skill. It's really the art of influencing and the art of really effective leadership. Okay. All right. So then you, uh, how, how are we supposed to deal with it? I mean, and if you say to me, no, we have to understand some pieces before we get there, but kind of give me a clue of what it looks like to deal with somebody that's difficult. Yeah, well, maybe, maybe a place to start might be kind of what do some of these kind of, what are the, some of the common um, sources of this quote-unquote difficulty, and then right. kind of getting into maybe kind of how to how to approach different scenarios might be a good place to start. Um, Great, you know, and they can manifest in any number of ways. And, and some of some examples that I talk about um, uh, may resonate with some of your listeners more than others. Uh, and there are definitely many that uh, we won't talk about that um, I'm sure your listeners could provide a ton of input and experiences on their own that they've had. You know, think about people in your in your life or kind of the the rumor spreaders. You know whether it's whether it's uh, whatever the impetus for that, right? I mean, it creates friction in the system. Um, one thing for me that kind of you know gets my goat is is people who are always negative, no matter what you yeah. uh, present them with. There is the kind of the Debbie Downer type of approach. I find personally difficult, and I'll share a story later if we get around to it. To um, how how you know, that affected me and what I did about it. You know, the people that just don't want to cooperate, right? People who don't value the opinions of others. Um, you know, you've got people like, uh, you know, those perfectionist type personalities, for example. It's not necessarily a bad thing in and of itself. In some cases, that's what you need. But in other cases, uh, for example, cases where, you know, you just need to kind of get a, a simple solution out the door quickly, Perfectionists might cause some friction because of their style and personality. Um, you know, same thing with kind of creative types, right? Creative types are necessary when we need to generate a lot of ideas. Um, absolutely the right people to have in the room. But if we're really just trying to kind of get something out the door quickly, again, not maybe not the, the, uh, 
the most uh, easy person to work with in those type of situations when they continue to kind of throw ideas out there. Um, you know, you also, folks that come to mind for me are, are people who are overly aggressive or overly defensive in mm-hmm. their style. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and I, this is something where, you know, assertion of one's point of view is definitely helpful in moving a group forward, but being overly aggressive or overly defensive can can um, turn people off and put them in reactive mode where they're operating from their emotions rather than than from a logical place. And, you know, I see this in my work really interesting in kind of professional subcultures, how some of these things play out. So, for example, when working with academics, um, they tend to value debate, right? Really talking through ideas and pressure testing them uh, with each other. And that's where, that's where many academics that I've interacted with get their energy. And it's not a personal affront. It's valuing that, um, the, that the, the, the spirit of the debate. Mm-hmm. Uh, when people are, who are not academic tend to work with them, they can oftentimes find them difficult to work with because they're not used to that type of approach to engaging. Um, and those are just a couple of different um, options. But there are not, not options, but there's, there's just a couple of different types of people or types of situations where people can kind of run into those kind of friction areas. Okay. I have to make a comment about academics because it comes from one of the CEOs that I've worked with over the years. Sure. He comes back from a meeting with a group of faculty, you know, just shaking his head. Oh, my gosh. You know, how do you deal with this? And his comment is, I've spent 30 years in corporate life where the point was to see how quickly you could get something done. Right. With academics, it seems to be, let me find every reason why it won't work which is that spirit of the debate, it's a complete, and for that's the right reason from an academic point of view, but it really does go against what you're trying to achieve when you're trying to move forward, to get things moving. So, that's exactly right. Neither is wrong. It's just you're coming at it from a very different value set. Mm-hmm. Um, so if I just go back over your list, just to make sure that we've, um, I like the notion that you said that they, these styles or approaches create friction in the system, particularly when what we're trying to do is counter to what this style is trying to achieve. So spreading rumors, you know, talking about people and so on isn't necessarily bad, but when it becomes too much that it becomes gossip or rumors, that isn't helpful. The negativity that the glasses always have full and never are positive uh, not valuing the opinions of others, which leads us to believe they won't cooperate. Perfectionistic has to be exactly precise. Creative, the next new idea, or overly defensive or aggressive in their style. Again, none of them necessarily in their own way that are horrible, so long as the intent behind it are good is good, but that it creates friction. That's right. I mean, it has the potential to create friction, right? So, you know... It, it, this is, this is operating under the assumption that these people are not intentionally trying to derail you, of course, right? That's a totally different situation, uh, but still presents difficulty for people to navigate, right? Yeah, one of the, it's interesting that you say that. One of the things that I find when I'm coaching people around someone they've labeled as a difficult is the belief is that the person is intentionally doing this on purpose to harm me, to sabotage, to undermine my success, or so on. Every case I know that I've rolled back the curtains, there was no intentionality. It's just 
different approaches. But we all immediately attribute, you know, cause and logic and something to the other person. Do you find the same thing? Yeah, no, absolutely. You know, and and that's not to say that there aren't people out there who may be intentionally trying to uh, coerce you or intimidate you. And that that's certainly something that exists out there in the world. But in my experience coaching folks as well and working with teams, uh, you know, it's just people approaching it from a different perspective. So what I see tends to happen, um, to your point, is that, you know, I, I, I come to a situation and I'm working with a colleague who I'm finding difficult. And I get frustrated and I begin to kind of get emotional about it. So I begin to kind of tell myself the story that, oh, this person is a difficult person. So every time I interact with him, I'm going in with that story in my head, that label, and I begin to kind of interpret everything this person does or doesn't do through the lens of their trying to be difficult. And, you know, we kind of, we start to attribute intent to their action. Um, and we're, we're operating on, on a series of assumptions that we've made or stories we've created in our own mind that may or may not be true. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Can you give me a concrete example of how you've seen this play out? Oh, my gosh. You know, I see this play out all the time. I mean, you can think about it from, from difficult individuals. You can think about it from the organizational perspective. Um, you know, I, I, one thing that I often see is, you know, in the, in the lack of um, clear, concise, factual information, people tend to fill in the blanks. So at the organizational level, for example, um, rumors are floating around that there's going to be a merger or acquisition. If there's a lack of factual information uh, discussed with people, people are going to fill in the blank spaces. And they typically fill in the blank spaces with their own story based on their own perception and their own lens, which tend not to be exactly true. Um, that's at the organizational level. But the same thing can happen at the individual level, right? So I'm working with somebody who I'm finding extremely difficult um, and I begin to kind of label that person in my own mind as difficult. I get emotional. I get anxious whenever I'm dealing with this person, but I have to deal with them on an ongoing basis. It's a work situation. Uh, you know, I'm going to begin to start to fill in the gaps as to why this person is behaving the way they are. And obviously, since I'm perfect, it's all this person's fault, right? So I begin to create this story about this person where, you know, it's really not necessarily fair because in most cases, folks are just not cognizant of the, the difference between their intent and their impact. Yeah, yeah. The intent and the impact, that's an important intent versus the impact, and thus we have a coaching life as well on this one. i give you an example of a fairly recent event where a person has a style that tends to be a bit on the negative side, but then again, I would argue part of their job is to make sure that nothing goes wrong. So that tends to lead you to be a bit more negative, pessimistic, watch out for things that can cause troubles, like from a regulatory point of view. Sure. Um, and then they tend to um, be fairly self-protective. So it comes across as quite defensive. And again, you know, you could justify that given the job, given the role and so on. If someone working with this person who says, 
they are not collaborative is the label that puts on them. Not collaborative. It's one of our core values, not collaborative. And that just sets up, like there's a never-ending cycle between those two personalities. It's not that the individual is not collaborative. It's that they see a bunch of problems that they want to be addressed before we move forward. And the other individual doesn't want to address those particular problems, wants to move on. And, you know, they're like stuck in trenches. And you let that go on for a year or two. It's kind of hard to unpack it. Well, and that's what makes leadership so difficult, right? There is no easy answer. But at the end of the day, if, if these two parties are able to kind of step outside of their own trench long enough to kind of reflect on what's really causing the source of the frustration or the rub in their relationship, have a little bit of empathy and a little bit of emotional intelligence, really being able to kind of step out of their own shoes and step into the other person's point of view, um, you know, very likely they'll be able to kind of, they can release the emotional side of it long enough to look at it from an objective lens. And, you know, I think it's, it's, it's understandable to see why each of those people would have the view they take. When, when you mention that story, I think about lawyers, Wanda. I think, mm-hmm. you know, lawyers' jobs are to protect an organization for, or an individual from risk, right? So they're going mm-hmm. to look at it from that lens. Any contract you sign is going to be looked at from that um, lens. Business people look at it from the business opportunity perspective, and that can be a source of frustration. Oh, the lawyers are telling me I can't do this, I can't do that. Um, you have to understand where they're coming from and what they're what their role is in the process. It's not that they're trying to um, reduce the amount of business you're doing. It's that they're trying to protect you if something should go wrong. Neither is wrong, but at some point, somebody has to make a decision around our risk tolerance in that specific situation. Are we, are we going to take the risk for the spirit of the business, or are we going to take a more conservative approach? Okay. All right, so we've been talking about the, quote, difficult, where we've been assuming that the intention is good and that each person is just coming to the present engagement or the historical engagement with their own view, their own perspective, their own set of metrics for success, their own biases in in a whole host of ways. So we end up with people that we would label as too negative, um, don't value others' opinions, too perfectionistic, too creative, overly aggressive, overly defensive. And that's assuming in all those cases that the intent is good. All right, so let's take a specific one where we could debate whether the intent is good. And I often get people um, identifying somebody as a bully, Mm. you know, The classic definition of bully is the intent is to make you look bad. That is the intent. Right. But it's hard sometimes to know how do you label bullying versus how do you label somebody who's just aggressive, just assertive, just powerful in what they want and not going to take no for an answer. So how do you you define this thing about bully and, you know, how do we begin to think about people whose intentions are a little bit different? Yeah, that's a fantastic question, Wanda. And I personally, I view those as two separate kind of subcategories, right? There's people who might be aggressive, know what they want, et cetera. Um, And then there are people who are intentionally 
looking to kind of harm you or intimidate you, right? I mean, the definition of bullying, right, is to, to intimidate or, or to harm intentionally. And, and that's a very different story. I guess the, the challenge here uh, is that whenever we're faced with those behaviors, they can look similar. And it's on us to have the wherewithal to kind of take a step back and really try to understand which situation we're dealing with. The emotional side of us might easily want to slap the bully label on it. But as soon as we do that, we start behaving in a different way. Mm-hmm. Um, if, we, if we seek to understand where this person is coming from, and we really do make a best effort to figure out what is driving their behavior, um, you know, we might find out that it's not, it's not that they're intentionally trying to derail us, but that it's just the style, the way they're operating, um, you know, similar to that, you know, getting in a debate with an academic. For non-academics, they feel like, wow, that person just slayed me in that conversation. They hate me. Well, no, not at all. They're trying to come up with the best idea, and they do that by rigorous debate. So the bullying situation, you know, to, to your last part of your question is how to deal with that, is once you've kind of gone through all of your kind of best practices for how to navigate these situations, uh, at some point you may need to go and, and seek help. Because mm-hmm. that's the type of situation where, I mean, it's a really sticky situation, and your, your likelihood of changing that type of dynamic is very slim. I, yeah. I think back to, like, the bully I had in school growing up, and, I mean, you know, it sounds like it's out of, like, a, you know, a Lifetime movie, but, uh, you know, it took me standing up to that person um, and, and building up the courage to stand up to him before he backed down. Uh, not advocating necessarily doing that in the workplace. Yeah. There are other yeah. avenues to kind of deal with that. <laughs> yeah, Lynn Curry, who's been on this show, has written about bullying and behavior, and she's done a show with us a couple of years ago about bullying behavior. Her statement would be that um, bullies are intentionally trying to intimidate you, put you down, make you unsuccessful intentionally, and that they right. get their own joy out of intimidation and that if they're not intimidating you then they will move on to somebody else and that the secret in dealing with a bully is to not become the victim that the moment you become the victim you cave to their intimidation in any way then they will keep doing it so you say you had to stand up to the bully in school I think there's some version of that that needs to happen on a regular basis if that's the behavior that you're interacting with but I'd agree with you it's very hard to tell the difference between real bullying and just aggressive assertive I know what I want I'm not going to take no for an answer because it's almost impossible to know the intention inside the person's head I get that we believe we do it, but uh, I'm going to tell you we don't actually know very often what somebody's intention is. So I think you're right that you have to seek outside advice, people who are watching the situation, who can give you wise counsel. And that's also one of the things around dealing with bullies at work is that when you make it a tad bit more public, that is a way of saying I'm not going to become your victim. Right. Right. Yeah, that's an interesting point. Okay. So, Chris, we're going to take a break in just a couple of minutes, and I'm going to come back after the break and talk about how, because we've danced around how on a number of occasions, and you've alluded to the notion of step back and you know try to understand where the person's coming from. I want to dig into how. But before sure. we do that, why did you go down this topic? Why have you – I mean, you've written a couple of things on it. What, what was the driver? 
Yeah, you know, I mean, my area of expertise is organizational culture and leadership, and it's certainly not uh, dealing with difficult people, in all honesty. I, I've, for the last number of years, I've uh, written a column in Forbes.com, and they've been gracious enough to give me a wide berth in writing around cultural and leadership topics. And I, I pick my topics in three ways. Uh, number one, it's something that's um, topical in the news that I find particularly interesting. Uh, the second is, you know, something that I've actually dealt with on my own, um, or it's thirdly something that I'm working with clients that they're grappling with. And so the impetus for, for me getting really interested in this topic was my own situation of working with an employee in my, in my small firm that I found to be extremely negative all the time. And I wanted to learn how to deal with it because it's not something, it's not a technical skill you learn in school. It's <laughs> one of those things that pushes you outside of your comfort zone as a leader. And it's, it's, it's about influencing other people. Um, so, so that's how I got into it. Well, I can imagine in doing cultural transformation work, this notion of influencing people who are not predisposed to go in that direction in the first place is sort of bread and butter for you. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. And you know what? I mean, even as an organizational psychologist who works with leaders and works in organizations all the time, you know, it's, it's good to take a dose of your own medicine once in a while and, uh, and, and realize that you don't know everything and that there's a lot to learn out there. And, and especially in these types of situations, there, there's no one right answer, right? It, yeah. it's, but it's, there's a lot of best practices that you can put into place to help you navigate these situations successfully. Yeah. Okay. All right. That is a perfect segue then to talk about what we put in place to um, make sure that we get, you know, we're on the right track and we're doing all the right things. So we're going to take a break at this point. With me today is Chris Kendalosi. Chris is with a partner and founder of Gotham Culture. And as you've heard Chris say, his real specialty is organizational psychology and leadership, where he's helping leaders draw shape high-performing cultures. And that means transformational processes aimed at creating and sustaining large-scale change. So it's all about the culture for Chris. Along the way, though, changing culture, influencing people means that you're dealing with difficult personalities, quote unquote, difficult personalities. Now, I want to distinguish as we just were difficult because the person is intentionally causing harm versus difficult because I found it painful to deal with them. Those are two different reasons. And the kind of things that Chris has described are people that create friction because their style seems at odds with what I want to achieve in the moment. So it's different, it's difficult because it's different from what I expect or need at that moment. And hence, I'm back to your definition. So we talked about things like people who um, spread rumors, who are too negative, who don't value the opinions of others, who are too perfectionistic, who are too creative, who are overly defensive or overly aggressive. And notice that every time you have to put that word overly or too on it, because in and of itself, on occasion, we probably all do a bit of it. It's when it tips in the too much category that we want to get focused on it. So we'll take a break. When we come back, I want to talk about how. Okay, so you got a difficult personality around you. Now what are you supposed to do with it? We'll be right back. The 
business community's first choice in Internet Talk Radio, Voice America Business Network. If you want more information on the articles, books, coaching, and seminars we offer, go to our website at www.leadershipforuminc.com. You're sure to find some helpful links, videos, and more to help you create a winning strategy for your organization. Leadership Forum, Inc., helping organizations get it and keep it. How is your work-life balance? In most businesses, no matter where you are positioned, there is always room for improvement. If you're an executive, learn insight about your business. Are you an employee? Learn how to better work with your team. Even if you're not in business, you can learn where your strengths and weaknesses can be played to their best potential. The Work-Life Balance with host Rick Morris can be heard live every Friday at 5 p.m. Eastern Time, 2 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Tune in to the soul of enterprise, business in the knowledge economy. With co-hosts Ron Baker and Ed Klass, Ron and Ed will show you how to recognize that wealth is created by intellectual capital. It's all in the possibilities that we can create and that are created for us. These possibilities are destined to be discovered by human imagination and through the service of others, creating a brighter future for all of us. The Soul of Enterprise is heard live every Friday at 1 p.m. Pacific Time, 4 p.m. Eastern on the Voice America Business Channel and simulcast at the same time on the Voice America Variety Channel. The Voice America Live Events Channel is here now to showcase your corporate, individual, or organization's live event. Visit voiceamerica.com forward slash live events to see all of our past live events and find out more. Whether it's a multi-day conference, special speaker, or single day event, we've got everything to make your event a success. We can do a few hours or a few days. For more information about taking your event to the next level, call Jeff Spinard at 480-294-6417 or email info at voiceamerica.com. Again, that's Jeff Spinard at 480-294-6417 or send us an email to info at voiceamerica.com. Voice America is where you are and where you want to be. Join us around the globe as we broadcast live from some of the most interesting events available. Don't forget to view all our live events, including on-demand access to past events that you may have missed by visiting voiceamerica.com forward slash live events. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. Leading outside of your comfort zone is a delicate balance. You need new skills and new ways of working. To reach the program today, send an email to wanda.wallace at leadershipforuminc.com. That's wanda.wallace at leadershipforuminc.com. Now, back to Out of the Comfort Zone. Welcome back to the show. With me today is Chris Kangelosi. Chris is founder and partner of Gotham Culture, and he is an expert in helping leaders shape high-performing cultures. We have been talking about difficult people, quote-unquote difficult people, not necessarily people who have the intent of causing harm, though some days it feels like it, much more people who just have a personality style or an approach to work that's at odds with what I am wanting or expecting in that moment or over time. Things like overly negative, not valuing the opinions of other people enough, being too perfectionistic, being too creative, being too aggressive, being too defensive, and I'm sure we could go on with a longer list. 
though that's certainly the ones that I see on a regular basis. Now, we were talking a little bit about bullying behavior, which is different than overly aggressive in that the intention is good. And the caution I want to give you is you often don't know the intention. So if you are suspicious of bullying behavior, get someone who's outside of that perspective and can be neutral to help you decide if there's an intentionality or not. So, Chris, we've talked about, I mean, you've said a number of times the need to understand somebody else's perspective. So what's the process like um, of now coming to a place where I can work with somebody who's not doing, not giving me what I'm needing or expecting? How do we go about mitigating some of these situations? Sure. And, and one, you know, it's, it's less of a, um, a recipe than it is kind of a, uh, a toolbox of, of best practices that you can Great. deploy as you either feel comfortable or see that they might, might lend an effort. There's a couple of things that come to mind. So there's the, you mentioned it here uh, earlier, but, you know, being able to kind of step out of your own kind of viewpoint and, and attempt to take on the view that the, uh, of the other people. Uh, that's definitely one thing. I think one thing that you can do even before getting into these types of situations is taking time to increase your own self-awareness about your own style and preferences because it will help you understand how you may react in certain situations you come across. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's definitely a place to start, and you can do that preemptively, right? Um, the other thing, and, and this is easier said than done. I, granted, I've been in this situation as well as we've talked about, but trying our best to really separate the facts from the assumptions we're making and, and separating ourselves from our um, uh, emotions and negative reactions that we're having uh, in the moment, that's a really hard thing to do. But, you know, I've, I've worked with many leaders who are masterful at this in keeping their calm, and the question is, how do they really do it, right? Yeah. Uh, you know, they manage their reactions really well. Uh, you know, I, the one thing I always think about whenever I, I start to get emotionally spun up is just breathe. Take a breath. You know, right. don't go down that rabbit hole of emotion in striking back, but really take a pause mentally to say, okay, I'm getting myself spun up. Uh, I need to kind of just take a moment. And then, you know, for those people who are, find that difficult, there's even, you know, wearable technology out there nowadays that can help monitor your breathing um, and just kind of give you a little buzz whenever your, your respiration rate increases to help you just say, hey, listen, you're starting to get spun up. Take a moment. So there's ways to get feedback very subtly uh, to help you with that. And in fact, I, I wear one of those things uh, myself just to kind of help train me to be attuned to when I start to have an emotional reaction to things. And that's been really helpful. Um, I, think, I don't think there's anything wrong with kind of reflecting on how you feel and, and even bringing that up in dialogue with the person. You know, discussing how that person's behavior is impacting you can be a really... Um, empowering thing to do because oftentimes, especially when the intent and impact are not aligned, uh, people aren't even aware that they're having that effect on you. Mm -hmm. So bringing it up in a a, uh, way that is not aggressive 
but really just sharing simply the impact that that person is having on you with that behavior can be really powerful as well. Again, that takes practice, easier said than done until you have uh, uh, developed that muscle, Mm -hmm. but definitely something that that is very powerful. The other thing that I suggest is really, you know, when you get into those difficult situations is trying to kind of resist that instinctual response to kind of um, come back in a sharp way or in a negative way and trying to put your brain in a more positive perspective by saying, hey, like, what are we trying to get out of this and where can we find agreement that we can kind of work together to give us kind of a footing to have a, a productive conversation? At the end of the day, we're trying to get things accomplished in our lives, right? Um, Another tactic that that, um, I found particularly helpful in my own life is just asking questions, right? I mean, there's one way to try to figure out or confirm some of our hypotheses about why someone might be difficult, uh, talking to them and asking them questions to, to seek to understand what is driving them and their perspective can be can be very helpful. Um, you mentioned it earlier, but you know, when in doubt, seek the advice of others. There are other people in your organizational system that are dealing with this person. There are other people who are observing your interactions with this person, and you know, they may have some some input. I mean, God forbid, they might come back with some feedback that you're the person who's being difficult, right? I mean, that could be a situation as well. If you're the difficult person that's driving others to react, well, that that's some important feedback you need to know. Yeah. Yeah. I have to say, Chris, every difficult, again, I want to say, quote, unquote, difficult personality case that I've been in, it takes two to tango. So there's always something that one party is doing that's agitating the other party and vice versa. So I find there's always something the other one can shift that's going to bring the tension down because that's the whole point is to bring the tension down. Right. Um, I just want to go back over some of the things you just to reiterate. So, you know, the starting point is the general guiding principle here is we need to understand where the other person is really coming from. What's their point of view, their concern, their worries, their fears, not what's my um, intuitive belief about why they're doing what they're doing. Because I find 90% of the time when I make up a story about why somebody's doing something, I'm wrong. Totally. We all are. Yeah. You said things like ask. Yeah, we can. We still do it. We all do it. And especially when the emotions are running and I'm irritated with that other person, that's exactly what's going to happen. And you said things like asking questions and confirming our hypotheses and seeking to understand. But, you know, I can go into somebody that I'm having a difficult time with and say, in effect, why are you being so difficult or why are you being so aggressive? That ain't going to go very well. So do you have some advice about how to run that conversation that's going to be more constructive? Yeah, absolutely. And it is all in the the language, right? I mean, by by labeling them difficult, it immediately puts them on the defensive, immediately Mm -hmm. puts them in that emotional zone where they're going to feel like they need to protect themselves. So the chances are it's going to spiral out of control. They're going to come back at you and you're going to get into this self-fulfilling prophecy that that person really is difficult and they're going to call you the same thing. Um, so I think, you know, in terms of positioning it behaviorally, you know, it's, hey, Wanda, yesterday when we were in that meeting and you did X, Y, and Z behaviorally, it had this impact on me. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it made me, it made me shut down 
from the process or disengage from the process. And it's factual. It's your own re- emotional reaction. There's nothing to really argue about. Um, and it creates kind of a, um, it doesn't create, it, it kind of diffuses a um, potentially conflict-laden conversation. Takes practice. This is not a muscle people are used yeah. to using. Yeah. Uh, um, that's a hard one to do, though. So it's a hard, you know, sometimes, especially if I found that person hard to work with, and they're, what they're doing is undermining my effectiveness, right. my performance, not intentionally, but it is, it's having that impact on me. And I'm worried about whether they're intentionally trying to sabotage me or not. Going and saying, you had a negative impact on me, or you uh, made me feel defensive, the worry I often hear is they're going to say, aha, I got to you. I will just keep doing that. They might. <laughs> they might. <laughs> I, I mean, in all my years, I've never experienced that once, but Good. I guess it's theoretically possible. Either way, at least you know. <laughs> you don't have to assume anymore. Uh, yeah, I really, you know, I, will that never happen? I can't say it will never happen. I, I, I put a little bit more faith in people that, that the the friction that we experience is largely, you know, unintentional in nature. And, and you know, if it is intentional, simply putting the elephant on the table and talking about it at least opens the door to a conversation to help understand each other, right? Because they're trying to get something done as well, right? You're interacting for a reason, especially in the workplace. You're trying to get work moved forward. So as leaders, if you're unable to work productively together, you're not serving yourselves, and you're, not, you're certainly not serving your organization. Okay. I, I agree with you. If somebody's being intentionally trying yeah. to harm, there is sort of no way around that. But it is really important to know, is there intentionality here or not? And being a tad bit candid with them, maybe you don't say everything, but at least opening that dialogue, a bit of that vulnerability has a way of cracking the door open. So that was, you know, sort of trying to understand their point of view. One of the things that um, I find is really helpful is just going one-on-one with somebody with whom you're in a difficult experience change and to say, I want to understand how you see this situation. Just talk to me and go with that. I always describe it as gentle curiosity, not with the, not with a tone of voice that says, okay, so tell me how you're seeing this thing is going to put the other person on defensive, but genuine curiosity. I need to understand what's in your head about this. Usually around a situation makes it an easier conversation. And research will say that that tends to bring people's um, temperature down in terms of the tension. It just eases it a bit and makes it more likely to talk. Yeah, that's right. I mean, it's I love that term, right? Uh, that, that curiosity, um, genuine curiosity, right? I mean, you're not just do you're not just acting that way to to check a box, but you're really seeking to understand. Um, you're 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 putting on your empathy hat and trying to really truly kind of. Uh, diffuse the situation. So I think that's great. I, I also think, you know, words matter. So the way, the way you approach the topic, the tone you take, being, being conscious of those things um, is really important because as we start to get spun up emotionally, our tone changes, the speed of our conversation changes. So really kind of uh, preempting that just by being aware of it can be really helpful. Okay. 
Okay. Now, you said another thing in here is to separating the facts from the assumptions and the emotions from the reactions. And I, you know, I agree in principle. I think it's extraordinarily difficult to do that in the moment because we are emotional creatures, you know, and we can kind of pretend that we're all going to be all rational, but I don't think so in the next 5,000 years, perhaps maybe we'll change. But between now and then, emotions are part of it. So acknowledging the emotions is often, I find, really, really useful. And you said in there, one of the things to do is to just breathe, to just pause, um, just stop. You know, like, and there's also, I agree, there are all sorts of technologies that will help you do that. And certainly the research is saying that that's really useful. So I have to give a quote that I always give from Joshua Friedman. His organization is called sixseconds.org. Um, And the quote is that physiological response that's driving your emotions behind it, you know, the flight, fight or flee response, freeze response, lasts six seconds. Mm. If you don't interpret it, if you don't ruminate about it, the physiology is six seconds long. So in that case, breathing is actually a really good strategy. So I thought that, I think that's amusing. Now, I want to come back to, you said that you've seen senior leaders who are masterful at managing their own reactions and emotions in the moment and they stay calm. Can you talk a little bit more about how you see people do that? Because we always, we know if you can't stay calm in chaos or in a conflict, it's a major derailer and it's easy to say it's a whole other thing to actually do it. So how do you see leaders do that? Yeah, the leaders that I see that are most effective in those situations are the ones who have a very, very high level of self-awareness. They understand what their triggers are. They understand uh, and have reflected on why they have the views they have. Uh, They're also able to um, um, express empathy and emotional intelligence. And they also have a very high level of ability to kind of self-manage. Right, So they're the people who don't just jump back in and react. They're the ones who take the six seconds, for example. Right, They take a moment, they let that emotional wave pass over them, and they, they try to stick to the kind of plan of, of uh, sticking to the facts and removing that emotion. But there are some, some situations where you can do all of these things. You can do mm-hmm. all of them, quote-unquote, right, and you're still not getting anywhere. And... Yeah. and you know, at that point, you really need to start to wonder about kind of what other resources are available to you to help you manage through this situation. Um, and, it, and it, you know, it might not be a bad time to start thinking about capturing some records. Uh, you know, some of these situations just cannot be fixed despite your best efforts. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I do find that one as well. Um, and before we go that one, I want to do one last piece that you said. Well, you were just talking about it, this notion of self-awareness and understanding the triggers, what's going to really get under my skin. And that's the best way of being able, I think, to being able to catch it. Do you have um, particular ways that you help people reflect on this? Oh, gosh, yeah. I mean, there's any number of ways. I mean, there's any number of of um you know, assessments people can take. Uh, I think one of the best ways to do this, and of course you're taking this from an executive coach, so I am certainly a biased perspective here, Wanda, but I think executive coaching is one of the most powerful ways to help elevate self-awareness in, in uh, leaders because it's one-on-one. It's completely customized to where they are and meeting them where they're at. And by, you know, pairing that with 
sight observations of the person in action, um, intense feedback through assessments and other data collection really gives people an opportunity to hold up the mirror and kind of see how their behaviors and style are impacting the people around them. But now, of course, that said, I am, I am a, certainly a biased perspective on that. Well, obviously, I would agree with you on that one, that it's a massive, it's a wonderful way to go about it. But you've got to be open to the self-exploration and to the fact that you might not be a perfect human being. It's interesting. Um, when I go back to your list where we started of the kind of behaviors that get people, you know, that we label as difficult, things like always negative or perfectionistic or creative or overly defensive or so on. The, there are a variety of personality profile attributes, like things like Myers-Briggs or FIRO-B or any number of other ones that would actually point out dichotomies in those two. So I'll give you a really simplistic one just for the sake of illustration, at least that I see, is when somebody is very perfectionistic. Notice that's my labeling of them as being perfectionistic. What it is, is they have a personality that actually cares a lot about the detail. That the detail is really, really important. So it'll show up as an S, uh, a sensing in Myers-Briggs kind of terms. Right. Now, I'm not a detail person. I'm a big picture. Where are we going? What's this about? So you can bet that I'm going to get entangled regularly with somebody who's trying to be very detailed when I don't want to do the detail, and I think it's getting us in the way of progress, my definition of progress. Notice not their definition of progress. And that awareness of those different perspectives often gives people a chance to say, oh, you're right, that isn't perfectionistic, it's attention to detail. So we can take the label away and give it a different attribute. I find that stuff is really, really helpful. Yeah, absolutely. And, and that's a great example. And there are any number of assessments that, you know, that, that uh, folks can utilize to help increase their self-awareness. And that's just one methodology. You know, as you're talking about the difference between sensing and intuitive types, I, I think about my relationship kind of as the visionary entrepreneur who's intuitive in my thinking, big picture, versus interacting with my attorney who yeah. gets paid to pay attention to the details. <laughs> right. She, I like to say she keeps me out of jail, right? Because I value what she brings to the table, but sometimes it can be darn frustrating. Yeah, exactly. Because, yeah, we could go on and on about that one plus a whole bunch of others. Right. All right, so Chris, I have to go back to where you were and I just left it out, is that, you, you know, you don't always make every relationship work. Right. Even if you've done all these things that we've talked about, even if the intentions are great on both sides, sometimes there are moments when you just say, this isn't going where I want it to go, and you've got three minutes. What's your advice then? Yeah, a really good question because th this is a reality. Uh, we've touched on a couple of things. So at some point, I think it behooves us in today's world to start keeping records. Uh, because if, if we go, and the second point is we go to seek third-party help, we're going to need some evidence of, that illustrates what's going on. But I think the third thing, which we haven't talked about yet, and, and my colleague Sean Overcast wrote an article about this a few months ago called Weathering the Organizational Storm, and I think she put it best. I think this is the, you know, if people take one thing out of this conversation is take care of yourself, Right. By taking care of yourself, you're not only um, 
you know, modeling those best practices as a leader, but you're also kind of uh, eliminating, eliminating some of that secondhand stress that you're causing in other people around you because you're stressed out, right? Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. practicing that mindfulness, promoting that calmness, um, but you don't have to put yourself in an abusive situation. And you've honestly right. tried all of these best practices and things are not diffusing and you're, and you are not the problem, <laughs> which you may be. Right. If you are not the problem, you need to take care of yourself, right? No one should be exposed to hostile or abusive work environments or relationships. So capturing the facts, you may need to get outside or HR input, um, and, and having that detailed factual record, I mean, as a last resort, um, you know, there we, we read about these situations in the news on occasion. I mean, they, they're, they're not unheard of. Right. Right. They do happen. I've come to, you said this about, you know, take care of yourself. I've come to believe that one of the primary causes of stress, workload is certainly an exacerbating problem and so is lack of sleep and all those things. But the primary one I see are the people I don't know how to work with. And I feel so under pressure and so little bit of time that that problem just sort of blows up faster than it need to be. Okay, but I would agree with you that we don't want to encourage anybody to stay in an abusive situation. And so get some outside input. First off, is it really abusive or are you part of it? Are you sure that you've done everything that you can to do? And then go to somebody who can give you another perspective on it. I also find sometimes um, you did this, you know, keep records in the notion of I can take the evidence to someone else. But as a coach, I also find someone having kept those records gives me a much better sense of what the individual I am coaching can do differently that will drive this, you know, or how serious it is. Sometimes it's not as serious as they think it is, and it's just nice to be able to see it. On paper. Yeah, yeah, that's a great point, Rhonda. And you know, Tony Schwartz wrote an HBR article uh, a while back. Uh, a while back, and one of the perspectives he um, suggests is kind of he, he he terms it taking the long lens. Um, you know, after you've tried to see things from their perspective, and you you've tried all these things. I mean, at the end of the day, it's there's still an opportunity to reflect on what happened, even if it totally yes. crashed in terms of how to uh, approach those situations in the future. So there's certainly uh, a growth opportunity and a learning opportunity. And those most effective leaders didn't start out that way. They, they crashed and burned and they learned from it, but they learned quickly and they adapted their behavior and their style. Great. Well, Chris, as always, we're out of time. Fabulous conversation. Thank you very much for joining me. Chris Cangelosi with Gotham Culture, who's also a specialist in transforming cultures as well as as individuals, I should say, along the way. I think the most important thing that comes out of this for me is this notion that it is a conflict, a tension, a friction between what I'm trying to do or achieve in the moment and what somebody else is thinking about and trying to achieve. If we see it that way versus labeled, we've got a better chance of success. Chris, thanks for being a guest. And join us next week for another episode in How to Get Out of Your Comfort Zone. Thank you for joining us today. Tune in for another edition next week with Dr. Wanda Wallace on the Voice America Business Channel. Reach outside your comfort zone this week.